2: welcome to the billboard Troppy podcast I know you guys miss me I'm back don't worry here I am all is good in the world again Trevor Anderson chart manager here at Billboard joined by my uh my my, my friend and featured host Gary Trust co-lead artist uh, mm, I don't know you might need to check that you might might have that that featuring in front of your name and
0: uh oh yeah that's right you were you weren't here last week that's right I forgot
2: no I was yeah, no I had to cancel some dates. Um, I heard lit, uh, through the grapevine and I guess literally that I had a nice fill-in from our friend Andrew Unterberger, a senior editor uh, on our digital coverage of billboard.com so Andrew holding down the fort I think he uh you know was not a not a perfect fill-in who could be but you know nine out of ten got the job done still got the W.
0: Yeah, Andrew, uh, last week filled in, and uh, if you listen, Trey, we talked about, really got a whole discussion of who's had the best year ever on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, Uh, because last week Drake uh, set a record, he passed Usher for the most weeks any artist has ever spent at number one on the Hot 100 in a year had uh, 29 uh, so far this year and uh, passed Usher with 28 weeks at number one in 2004. So uh, we wanted to talk about that. Just who in terms of pop culture impact uh, does it feel like has had the biggest year on the hot 100? Uh, we, we kind of uh, uh, at the end, we felt that uh, Beatles 1964, Michael Jackson, 1983 were maybe the top two uh, years uh, along with Elvis 1956, but that was before the hot 100 uh, chart hot 100 started. But uh I put it to a vote afterwards on Twitter. Wanted to see what people thought. Michael Jackson, he was the the runaway winner. Got 54% of the votes for his 1983. The Beatles were second with 22%, Drake was third with 17%, and Usher was fourth, 7%. Is that uh poor Usher? Is, is that surprising, Trevor? A lot of people said, uh, some of the comments kind of along the lines of, you know, I wasn't alive when the Beatles had that big year, so I'm going to vote for Michael Jackson. That's kind of the one I can relate to. So I think there's some sort of a, I want to say recency bias, because it's 1983, but kind of along those lines.
2: Obviously, Michael Jackson has had this sort of new level of um, reverence attached to him since he died almost 10 years ago. So certainly people are sort of looking back at his his contributions and his influence that much more. I mean, obviously, it was still very prevalent through the last years of his life. I mean, really, Michael Jackson like changed the template for pop stars. We weren't looking for the Bruce Springsteens and Bob Dylans anymore. People wanted Michael Jackson's right. glamour, you know, image. You know, you can dance, you smooth, you're, you know, good looking, all that kind of stuff. Um, Beatles, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think certainly the Beatles are one of those bands where you. You know sort of their magnitude. You know the records. You know the numbers. But certainly if you weren't alive to experience that phenomenon, I mean, I think even today, like some of those numbers that Beatles and Elvis Presley are putting forward, you know, some of these things where it's like, you know, when they were on Ed Sullivan or whatever, it's like one in every three households was watching that. And yeah, it's right. just one of those facts that you almost you, – you, I mean, today you cannot wrap your mind around that. There's no event – I mean, you know, short of the Super Bowl, where it feels like everybody is watching, like one in three people, you know, 50 million people are watching this show.
0: Timing was on their side. They, Beatles and Elvis had uh, that benefit of being at the beginning. So they kind of just set the whole stage for uh, the next 60 years of pop music. So, uh, yeah, that was sort of... uh, you yeah, their talent uh, obviously but just to be able to have that reach cuz it was so new so that's something that you know drake and and uh, usher obviously just uh, don't have that newness about i was a little surprised that usher only got 7% it was uh, 14 years later i guess uh, pop culture wise just hasn't aged uh, maybe as well as we might have thought
2: well i don't think it's a question of i think i think i mean for me i don't think that's a judgment on usher himself I just think is one of those things where in two thousand four, you know, Usher met the moment. He, you know, obviously had a huge list of hit makers and songs, and and he was the centerpiece. And he he made that moment of R and B what it was. And it had some influence, of course. You know, Chris Brown, Trey songs that come after, but um, I don't know that that it sort of made. It was a great album, great moment, but I don't know if it necessarily transcended in a way that that Michael and Elvis and the Beatles and such and such have i mean even if you look at Drake, you can even say now, a lot of people think that Drake is certainly one of the biggest architects. I don't think he really started the the this the sing rap hybrid genre bending that we're seeing, but because it was such a big such a big proponent of that, we see that now, obviously everywhere from this new generation so I'm not surprised that if you want to say in terms of pop culture impact that Usher would come in fourth in that race. Um, Again, I don't think that's people saying that Confessions is not as good an album or that year wasn't as good or that he isn't as good as those three. I think it's just if you say influence and longevity, that probably is right.
0: Yeah. Demo wise too. the people voting, uh, a lot of people uh, voting probably weren't born when the Beatles were first out. And uh, if if you're you know, 18 years old, you were you, know, you were four
2: in 2004. So mm-hmm. stop stop stop. I was thinking he was going to say like 12, but you're right. Yeah, that was 14 years ago. Yeah. So maybe uh, you know a lot of young people voting. Uh, they just you know Usher's an oldie. To I wonder this if young people like in that group like do they what do they think of Confessions? Like do they know it? Because you know if you grew up with Confessions, you kind of revere it because you remember how big a moment that was. People played it, yada yada. But if you're like, you know, 20, let's say, and it wasn't an album that you heard, did you go, you know, did you go back and listen to it? The way that every, you know, I wasn't alive when Thriller came out, but of course when I was right. 9, 10, I discovered it. I mean, did Confessions, did it? Does it one of those things where you just, if you were in that moment, you know it, but if not, maybe? I think it's a little, I don't know. we were saying
0: this last week, I think it's a little tied to the moment at this point, because that kind of R&B, uh, it just isn't, uh, it isn't as big nowadays. So... Yeah, I think it winds up uh being a little bit tied to the early you know, 2000s uh, whereas Michael Jackson feels feels pretty timeless and uh, uh again yeah ever since his death that music has just uh, gone to a whole new level in terms of uh, newer audiences. Uh I was a little surprised Drake 17%. I would have maybe thought that for the moment he's having in in really the last 10 years might have been a little bit higher but uh 17%. Mm, um
2: uh maybe i mean especially with some of these new artists of course there's people on you know for as many people i think who listen to drake appreciate drake like drake there is this contingent that is you know thinks he's oversaturated um overabundant maybe a little too much too soon not developing enough thinking that you know his past couple albums have kind of you know tried around the same kind of formula a few a few surprises here and there but as far as you know i've seen some people like to take that i've seen some people put on those takes online that you know drake doesn't have a classic album he's just a guy who makes a lot of hit singles and you know he can run the table for the moment but in 10 20 years no one's going to be thinking oh you know that was a great drake album so um i mean i'm not terribly surprised and and part of it also might be sort of the you know the sort of the pop culture historians leading the way that of course we revere michael of course we revere the yeah, beatles so right. you feel like you almost have to vote for them like you know everyone thinks michael jackson was that influential how how am i gonna say no he wasn't the best of the best
0: well uh, if you're in the discussion it's, it's a good thing uh no matter how much uh, you got in the vote that still means you had a huge year so uh yeah fun chatting about it last week with andrew uh and uh, uh, all the twitter votes uh, as well So uh, this week on the podcast coming up, a really excited special guest, country singer-songwriter Chris Jansen, currently in the country airplay charts, top 10 with Drunk Girl. And uh, we have him coming up here on the podcast, along with Warner Music Nashville CEO and chairman John Esposito, uh, both interviewed by Billboard's Nashville-based senior chart manager Jim Asker uh, in Nashville. They uh, talked a couple days ago. So that's coming up. it actually a new number one on the Billboard Hot 100. So after all this Drake talk, uh, a new number one, let's talk about that too. Here's this week's top 10 on the Billboard Hot 100.
3: 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2,
1: 1. Number 10.
3: Back in high school I used to bust it to the dance yeah! Now I hit that FBO with duffels in my hands Number 9 I didn't have a Zan. 13 hours till I land
2: Had me out like a light, ayy Like a light, hey like I, really no I don't really want no friends
4: Number 8
3: I don't no he, he, he trying to 69 like the Call him papi, worth the ASAP Keep me rocky I'm from New York so I'm Such a I love it. Number 7 you're such a fucking hoe I love, it. I love it You're such a fucking hoe When the first time they ask you You
2: want to it up like Number six a That bitch make
3: That bitch make Como se I am better now, better now say that cause you're not around, You know I never meant you, let you down let down Would've gave you anything Would've gave you everything oh, I still see your shadows in my room Can't take back the love that I gave you Number It's four. to the point why Love and I hate you And I cannot change you So I must replace you oh, Easier said than done Give you do a career to destroy it and Jackson go to sleep Six feet deep I give you a beat for the effort But if I was three For eleven, three. you look up to me And for the record you would suck a dick To fucking be me for a second like a boss like to get on my channel Give you love me Do you love me? Are you riding? Number two Say you never a lead from beside me Cause I want you and I need you And I'm down for you Always KB Do you love me? Are you like you love me? Do what I
2: want when I come through And number one All right, so our friend Gary over there is not a liar. That is a brand new song at the tail end of that countdown. For the first time in 11 weeks, we got a new number one. That is future Super Bowl headliners Maroon 5 featuring Cardi B. And the song is Girls Like You. Uh, I think people have been kind of watching, as we have. The song's been number two for the past six weeks. So the big question was, was it going to have enough energy, enough momentum behind it to overtake In My Feelings, which had been number one for the past ten weeks? And this week we have our answer.
0: So both songs are actually falling. It's just that... uh... Girls Like You uh, fell a little bit less this week, only uh, 3%, Drake's down 9%. So Sometimes just it's of, a
2: marathon, yeah, not a
0: sprint. It just kind of uh, waited out for for the total hysteria of uh, In My Feelings to uh, to come down a little bit. And radio is really driving this one. Uh, we've seen a lot this year. Streaming is the main metric for songs at number one. But uh, over half the points for Girls Like You this week are from radio. That's been number one in the radio songs chart for nine weeks now, Girls Like You. So, uh, yeah, radio uh, helps Mermin' uh, Five get to number one. First pop song at number one.
2: Yes, after I'm thirty four weeks. Our friend Gary is so excited about that. We almost went we almost could've carried a baby to term with just <laughs> not us because yeah. we physically yes. cannot, but somebody glad you clarified that. Could have almost carried a baby to term with just rap songs at number one. The last pop song to be number one on the Hot One Hundred, yeah, it was thirty four weeks ago. Yeah, it was it Snuck was right in there. Well, it was
0: similar in some ways cuz it was uh waiting at number uh, 2 for a while too and it it felt like a huge hit and it just, it finally was able to uh, sneak in. So uh, Havana, Camila Cabello.
2: Yeah, all the way back in January and since then it's just been um you know sort of a rotating wheelhouse between Drake and Post Malone and Childish Gambino, XXXTentacion got in there for a week and of course Cardi B, Bad Bunny, J Balvin on the song I Like It, so all those songs, Spending Time at number one in between, and uh, a new season, we're back in fall, feels like a uh, time for a new number one.
0: Do we know what the next number one is going to be? Because now that uh, In My Feelings is, uh, is down and Girls Like You is uh, now number one, uh, yeah, could it be you know, Eminem's Kill Shot debut at number three, but it kind of feels like it's going to be more of a one-week hit? Uh, Lucid Dreams is really gaining? I suppose that's a possibility.
2: Yeah, Lucid Dreams, who would have thought? Uh, It's a song that was really blowing up on streaming services a few months ago. And, you know, in particular, as we've seen with a lot of these songs that have come out of the viral sphere from SoundCloud, hopping onto Spotify and such, radio really slow to react to those. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, especially because he's a new artist and, you know, very young, it felt like this was going to be a streaming driven hit and it would fall off, you know, fall off the chart by the time radio caught up a little bit, if it even was going to. And here we are. It's you know still in the top five. Yeah, sure. yeah. And here we are. It's still in the top five. Streaming, you know, is is still there, but it's not the same kind of monster it was a few months ago. And radio, to my surprise, really kicking in on this.
0: Yeah, hits the radio songs top ten this week. Pop radio has really come around on the song. Yeah, you know, it's samples Sting song from nineteen ninety three, Shape of My
2: Heart. So that uh, back I'm and sure track. the programmers were you know grabbing onto that (laughs) one let's whoo here we go but it's 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 melodic it's uh i think it's just been
0: uh, one of those uh slow build songs so maybe that challenges the uh the gap uh really uh, throughout the entire top five isn't that huge at the moment so uh yeah kind of seems like uh, it's in play uh back to moon five uh, at number one do you know what an edgelord is trevor
2: an edgelord yeah no it sounds like some sort of um, bad, like rejected Avengers character or some, you know, Star Wars, uh, some governing body in Star Wars or something. I don't know. You
0: know I, I just learned this term. And I thought when I learned it, I'd be like, oh, I'll say it. And I'll, I'll impress Trevor. he be like, oh, I've known that word. For, I'm surprised you don't know it. It's an internet slang for someone who says something uh, kind of edgy or risque to, uh, you know, to drive clicks to,
2: to get attention. I really hate the internet so much. I'm teaching a millennial. I can't, I it. That is a hundred percent an internet word. I don't know what edge, an edge of Lord. What a, Oh God. All okay. Right, well, I'm going to be one. Apparently,
0: uh, is Maroon five. Are they a potential rock and roll hall of fame band? And I know maybe when you hear that, it kind of, uh, seems, yeah, they're, they're, they're a pop band. They they don't have that cred, but you look now, they've had number ones for 11 years. The First one, uh, this is their fourth. Uh, the first one was uh, back in 2007 with makes me wonder, uh, They've adapted. They've had uh, you know, Cardi B now. They're, they're, uh, they bring rappers uh, onto songs now. That's how they uh, help uh, stay relevant. Is it crazy to think that? Uh, so 2002 is their first album. Uh, 2027 is the year they'll be uh, eligible. Is is are we talking about Maroon five in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
2: Um, I am going to sell on that. I'm going to sell that stock. And I, but but I, you know, I'll give you a caveat. Because I think, in some ways, for some of those reasons you mentioned, that kind of uh, seemingly disqualifies them in some some respects. Yes, they're a pop band. Not a whole lot of pop bands who who don't have some some sort of other attachment. You know, whether it's new wave, whether it's um, obviously like rock. You know, rock and roll Hall of Fame. You know, even even if you look at like a Blondie or somebody sort of disco experimental, all the bands have some sort of other adjective that kind of goes with them. And Maroon 5 might just be a little too middle of the road. I don't know if rap features are going to save them. And some people may argue, you know, if it's the rap feature that's keeping you relevant, are you, are you relevant True. in that sense? Yeah. Um, you mentioned the number ones, which, you know, is not... There are obviously plenty of people in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that have had number ones, but I don't think it's one of those things where number ones gets you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I don't know if that's, you know, how much that was sort of weigh with the judging committee or whatnot. Um, Adam's TV profile. I I mean, it, it almost feels like, the you know, if you want to think of... Bands in terms of you know sell ins and sell outs. I mean all those things. Well, they have to get the rappers on to be relevant. Well, they they have all these number ones. Well, he's always on TV. Well, they're just like a pop band who you know they started out kind of rock and they lost themselves. It all feels kind of like that. That to me might be a little hard to impress. You know what people traditionally have thought of as you know some of the more influential bands to get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think the biggest thing too though is if you look in terms of influence. I mean, one, it's one thing already, I think, on the landscape that a lot of bands are not coming out. So, so, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of successors to Maroon 5. And there aren't really any acts out there who are, you know, I mean, who's saying, you know, for better or for worse, oh, we're, we listen to a lot of Maroon 5, we're influenced by Maroon 5. I don't know if they're going to have that kind of long tail, maybe a la what we're talking about with Usher Confessions, to where it feels like, oh, Maroon 5 opened the door for who?
0: Yeah yeah you know I think of a band like Chicago that it took uh, decades for them to get in and then sort of similar evolution where they started rock became you know pretty middle of the road i love them, a pop band uh and, and yeah that that uh sometimes isn't what the rock and roll hall of fame voters are looking for uh talk about um ruling your era, though, among bands. And that's all you can really compare over you know, what will be those 25 years. They're kind of the only pop band with any kind of longevity in the 2000s. Uh, the last pop band to be number one before this week was Magic with Rude. You know, basically, one hit Wonders at this point. Uh, and then after going back before that was Maroon 5 with One More Night. And before that in uh, 2011, they had uh, moves like Jagger. So uh, they're kind of the only band this decade that's having any kind of major success on the charts. And if you look at it in terms of uh, how far ahead are they uh, above their competition of their era, it's it's kind of no question that they're the only pop band. If you want a band that's going to represent two thousand two uh, thousand tens pop, it's maroon five. it's it's pretty unquestioned.
2: Uh, now, to that point, I, I guess I did say I'll give you a little caveat. I will say, you know, it's funny that you keep using the word pop for rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which I find like, you keep talking about like you know the no band rules pop the way they do. I mean, this isn't the pop Hall of Fame, right? It, by default, kind of is. I, I, I,
0: I, I mean, that's always been. Yeah, that's always I mean, been. That's, that's always been the the argument. What exactly is the rock and roll Hall of Fame? But you know, when when the Beach Boys are in, they're they a rock band. They're a pop band. There there are so many pop acts. Kyle I mean, yeah. Rogers.
2: So Pet uh, Sounds did a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, to get them in. Um, I do think though, and you know, maybe this is one of those things where timing will work out in their favor is that, you know, I'm looking at this, I guess, from sort of like the current day Rock and Roll Hall of Fame standards, where you have plenty of acts from the 70s, 60s, 80s, who people would want to induct. When we move forward these, you know, this other decade before they get in, um, I mean, that well is probably going to dry up to a a pretty large degree. Um, And what people, you know, may consider as worthy for Rock and Roll Hall of Fame certainly can change. You know, there's a lot of people even today who are upset that, you know, Certainly, a number of R and B acts and 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 uh, people of that genre and that era are not represented well in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So you know, with the leadership change, with a new generation, certainly when that pool of sort of classic rock and rollers dies out, because for all intents and purposes, you know, rock music is is shrinking. It feels like more and more every year. So maybe you know, Maroon Five and you know even Outcast or. or destiny's child or some of these groups get a fresh look and new consideration and maybe in 10 years we'll look back and say you know oh yeah maroon five like they they fit the ballot for what rock and roll hall of fame is today's standards 2018 i think especially as those rock purists try and hold on as much as they can today if they were up for it i do not see them getting it
0: destiny's child they'll be in they'll be in first may you making your, your trip to canton to go see uh destiny's child can if
2: beyonce shows up for the induction I show up for the induction. The,
0: uh, Eminem too. You talk about just some of the acts with with the longevity. Uh, yeah, Eminem could make it in again. Not not rock, but what we think. But yeah, great point about how uh, rock, the rock era, is certainly changing. And uh, yeah, what what rock bands will will make it in and and if they did uh, they wouldn't have that same kind of mainstream appeal it would start to look a little we're just bringing rock bands in. Uh, whether they had that kind of mainstream success or not, it's kind of weird to think of uh, acts like uh, three days grace and disturb some of the biggest acts in rock over the last uh, 10 15 years they they don't have that crossover appeal so there's going to have to be some decision made by the voters are we sticking with rock or are we going to uh, bring in rap and hip-hop and well yeah I mean, pop band.
2: is i guess you know, is rock and roll hall of fame supposed to be a rock and roll era, which technically we're still in the rock and roll era and there's a whole debate sort of, you know, around if that's even the right name for this current moment of music. Or is yeah, is it a rock and roll artist hall of fame? Or is it, you know, which which one which one is it? It seems like we're leaning more towards the era and to that point I think Eminem I think Eminem is a hundred percent going to get in. I mean, that seems like a no brainer whenever he's eligible, just because of, if you look at the long tail in terms of not only then, and I, I know I kind of use this argument in some ways against Maroon Five, but when you look at the numbers, I mean, hot take uh, um, for, for whatever you like better or worse. You know, Eminem popularized rap around the world in a way that I don't think any other artist up until that moment had. And I know there's people out there. Well, of course, because he's a white artist, he was more accepted, and I that certainly can play a part in it, but. I mean he did he brought it he was the biggest you know in the early 2000s that was the guy he was selling out like crazy all the albums that he moved and I think in terms of his influence his longevity, I mean this diss track he puts out, debuts at number three, people are still you know twenty years into his career viscerally into to that slim, shady persona where he represents how skilled he is in writing his rhymes behind the mic. I mean that's just a total package artist, and you know unlike maybe Maroon five. I mean, the list of rappers, not only who are influenced by Eminem, but his contemporaries who all, you know, Eminem is a top five, easy. My favorite rapper is Eminem. If you're putting N.W.A. and you're seeing more acceptance of rap artists into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I mean, I within his first three years, if it takes that long, I'm calling Eminem, going to be inducted. Will he show up? I don't know, but he'll be in there.
0: All right. Uh... Uh, Songs About Jane, Maroon 5's first album was released uh, June 25th, 2002, so uh, we'll pick up the discussion uh, June 25th, 2027. Moving on this week to our special guest, really excited to have uh, Chris Jansen, currently in the country airplay charts, top 10 with Drunk Girl. Uh, Another great get together by Jim Asker, where he gets uh, artists together with label executives and kind of have these conversations that maybe sometimes they themselves never really think about uh, to this degree. So, going to hear about uh, how an artist gets signed. A really interesting story of how uh, Chris Jansen got signed to Warner Music Nashville. Uh, He's up for three. CMA awards coming up November 14th is the ceremony song of the year for drunk girl video of the year for drunk girl, uh, new artist of the year. Uh, Chris actually uh, talks about uh, even being in that category. Cause he's, been around for more than just uh, one year what's it like when an artist is is called new when uh, they know they've been uh, doing this maybe for their whole life for a lot of people so uh lots coming up here from nashville really uh, happy to hear from uh jim asker our nashville-based senior chart manager talking with warner music nashville ceo and chairman john esposito and chris jansen here coming up on the billboard choppy podcast
5: Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
3: Cover, cover child stamps, got a hand looking like a rainbow In and out of every bar, on a whim just like the wind blows She's either a bachelorette i coming off a of breakup, take a drunk girl home. She's bouncing like a pinball, singing every word she never knew. Dancing
5: with a eyes. Well, hello, this is Jim Asker on the Billboard Chartbeat Podcast. And my guest today, Warner Music Nashville. Chairman CEO John Esposito, John. Hello, hello there, Jim. How you doing? And the one and only Chris Jansen, who I've been wanting to talk to for a long time, and I, I got you right at the thank right you. time, I, I think, because we got a lot to talk about. And thank you very much. Proud to be here with both of you. I just want to talk about first of all the three CMA award nominations, and congratulations on that. Uh, How minor excited! <laughs> <laughs> case, I yeah, want to know sorry. where you both were when you heard about it. Espo, you first. Yeah, good. Um,
6: I was, I was at my house. I was actually, I have been, um, sick from work. Um, I think about 10 days in my now 40 year career. And this was one of them. So I'm laying in bed and my phone is blowing up, Mm. um, because it was a very good day for the label overall. But, uh, Chris getting three was just an amazing part of the magic of that. And tell everybody what they are. The three, um, best new artist, um, uh, the
5: uh, song of the year for Drunk Girl and the video of the year for Drunk Girl, and Drunk Girl is—I uh, looked at the chart this morning. It's top ten with us, forty-one weeks young. We're we gonna get that into number one. It's our I damned know. aim. I'll I, tell you that. I was telling someone before that song so far eclipses the chart position, though. Well, thank you. Um, let's talk about how that song started and your co-writers and well it was uh we were It was the first day actually that Tom
4: Douglas uh Scooter Crusoe, and I got together for the first time mm-hmm. to write together which is an amazing collaboration turns out but um I kind of sensed it would be I mean it's either going to go one way or the other it's going to be really bad or it's going to be really good and it was really great so who had the idea Tom Tom brought it in he had just been he had just been to the penitentiary mm-hmm. in uh, Davidson County And, you know, he had I think he had said in so many words, I think he had said something to the effect of, you know, take a drunk girl home or something in passing. And he was there with his son shooting a documentary. And so the story goes, the um, the sheriff, the the chief there at the prison said, you know, to Tom's son, if 90 percent of the guys in this building would have just done what your father just said in a phrase they wouldn't be in here for the next 35 years of their life, Mm. which was, you know, just making a mistake. And, and we all make mistakes, but I mean, those are pretty serious um, things sometimes, you know, when you, if you take advantage of someone, if you just do, if you just harm somebody in, in general, or you do the wrong thing. And so Tom got back and he was, he kind of had an intense aura about him that morning. And so he let it out, the title, and Travis and I, uh, or Scooter, if you will, we, we both were like, whoa. I mean, it was kind of a 50-50. We really want to write this, and 50% were really scared, and we don't even want to get near that, uh, but we did, and thanks to Tom, man, he can usually sell me on anything by getting on the piano and just starting to play, because uh, like a Tom Waits side of Tom Douglas comes alive, and it, it really just steals the room, and so you know when you got the guy who wrote House That Built Me, you, you sort of have to listen. You just follow along. And we did, and we we just put our dad's perspective mentalities together, and that's really where the song came from. Tom played, uh, Scooter played guitar, mostly with his eyes closed, sitting on the couch. I just stood up and started singing
5: words, and the song was written. Awesome. That's, that's bro, really true. The message for anybody who's not aware of the song, Drunk Girl, from a listener's point of view, what's the message of that song? That
6: you have a girl who literally is drunk and you could take her home and take advantage of her or you could do the right thing which is take her home and and uh, put the keys in the counter write her a note uh, and go lock the door and you know when you started this with the uh, 41 Weeks Young you know our, uh, our friends at radio do their best to get research um, and research is Quite often happens in what's called a seven-second call-out research, and you can't really get the message of the song across in a seven-second call-out research because the blowback has been people who didn't actually take the time to listen to the lyrics. Seven seconds. Who's available to take those calls these days? I yeah. Well, by the way, I'd love to know that too. Me too. You know, but at the end of the day. Um, we persevered because we knew how powerful the song is and the message of the song. And we had some brave programmers who, despite the research, kept plowing it through. And then it just became familiar because they understood what the message of the right. song was. And they hear the hook in this call-out research and allowed it to climb the charts. But we probably could have chopped 20 weeks off if it weren't for that it's process. A hit. It's a at some point. It's a, an important song on top of being a hit. He'll be playing this in concert for the rest of his life. Just
5: an inside Thank baseball, sure um, an inside baseball chart perspective because I do the charts, uh, uh, the country charts for Billboard. You know there was a, there's a death walk, uh, the death march period, the '40s, '30s, where it's songs got to get through. And that song, was such a great song, we all thought it was a great song, all of my colleagues and I. And then we were watching it slowly climb, and all of a sudden it just kicked in. Um, and it's also doing well on Hot Country Songs is the hybrid chart digital sales streaming and airplay and that's the consumption chart and it's, re- it's doing great in both those metrics well, thank you it's a uh... That's great to hear you say that,
4: and it's uh, definitely a compliment, so I appreciate that. I, I try to. I generally just kind of stay out of those kinds
5: of circles. I know. So when I do, when I do hear them, though. Uh, yeah, I've never seen a, you in my circles. So. And, and when it's a pleasant,
4: when it's a pleasant review like that, I really appreciate it because it's you know, so great. You don't always get
5: those. Well, we just
6: want you to be creative. Trust us to. <laughs> That's the, what I'm doing. <laughs> the, the, the dirty work. I'll tell you. Um, you know um, that that death march um, that you described on, on on the song. I want your audience to know that one of the most important awards in any of the awards show, but we'll, we'll focus on the CMAs, is Song of the Year.
5: I was going to ask you, who can you explain who the the awards go to? Song of the Year, Video of the Year. Obviously, we know the I New Artist know. of the well, Year. Um, suppose the Song of the Year goes to the writers?
6: It goes to the writers. And uh, um, we celebrate the artist um and he happens to be both in this case you know quite often a song of the year will not have whoever performed it go there but um we we don't have scientific proof of this but you can look at what songs have one song of the year in the last decade, including Tom Douglas, one of the greatest writers ever's um, House That Built Me. And they are important songs. They actually tend to be more ballads or mid-tempo, and there's a powerful message in the
5: song. And it's rarefied air to get there. Well, I was in radio a long time, 20 years as a programmer, and remember when they w- we would actually do auditorium tests, to t- spend a lot of money to do auditorium tests, people would come into a room and you'd have their attention and you play a series of songs for them, and they'd rate them. And um, nine, 90% of your top research songs would be ballads. Um, and so when radio guys would say to me, you know, we need tempo, I'd be like, okay, you play the best song. You know, the smart people know that the best song is what you play, and and take it from there. And, that's, and I just want to ask you about, you know, taking it to the listener, the fans, the important people... Um, some of the stories you've gotten about the song "Drunk Girl," I think the um, I think the most important
4: story I have for you is, and I won't I won't say his name, uh, but I had a young man come to me in a meet and greet, and a lot of times, as this career has grown and has gotten bigger and bigger. You know, people bring a lot of things in their hands for you. Now, you got to be careful of what you take, obviously, because the world we live in, you never know what somebody's handing you. But I trust my people pretty much for the most part. And this kid brought me. Uh, this envelope and I'm thinking oh god song lyrics you know which I can't do and there's just a nice balance but I opened it up in front of them and I could see that it was a letter so I put it back in there I said I'll read this later and I did and I went on the bus man and it broke us all down I, I remember we, we sent it to everyone on the team and it was just it was an incredible thing uh, how drunk girl touches people it, it This young man wrote a letter. He's a high school senior. He said, look, I live in a community. It's pretty upscale. There's a lot of guys my age um, and kind of in my bracket. They got a lot of money. Of course, you know that when you have a little bit more money than some, you can do a lot more with it. You can have a lot more fun sometimes. That's true, he said, but it, it kind of gives them a feeling of entitlement. And that they can do anything in circles with women as well. And I really just don't stand for any of that. And I appreciate the song. I appreciate the song being a message that my peers are hearing. And it's and it's changing the face of it. It's changing the game of it. And I was blown away. First of all, it takes courage for anybody to say that of any age. Secondly, it takes extremes amounts of courage for a high school student to say it when you're when you're wow. vulnerable and awkward anyway in high school and you don't know where you fit in and if you do make the right stand, people usually hate you for it. So I thought that was really just amazing. And I've gotten more and more of those letters and those messages and i i keep track of that stuff because it's important i mean it really is i mean you don't ever you know you don't get those kinds of messages with buy me a boat you don't get them with fix a drink you don't get them with you know other hit songs so a song like this only comes around once in a lifetime and you have to really it's not about capitalizing on it it's about just really taking it in for what it is really the song capitalizes off of you uh, because you know i have to be the one who sells it obviously being the one who wrote it
5: what's the reaction when you it.
4: do it when you're performing oh it it it, you know my show is so high energy it's crazy um people are just frantically freaking out and just you know it's a rowdy raucous uh kick back to like mid-80s hank jr kind of thing the rowdy parts but then i slow it down and i usually preface i always i'm i'm of the belief that people you know they're familiar with drunk girl now because they hit on the radio and it's a you know it's a it's a global hit but in the building process of this, I preface it with something that's already accustomed to their ears. So I usually intro it with a little bit of Billy Joel's Piano Man, mm. harmonica and piano, and then I go into a little journey, like, don't stop believing. And that that just makes people comfortable. When people are comfortable, then they're ready to hear. If they're not comfortable, they're going to have a wall up. And so when I play Drunk Girl for them, I, I will do a little preface of that, and then I will say, okay, now listen. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, yeah, okay, now I'm going to listen. And they get serious. And I mean, I see a lot of tears. I see a lot of lights in the air naturally. Um, you know, that's, I know that it's touching heartstrings because it's touching mine. And so if it's touching mine, it must be touching someone
5: else. How, how does it feel to you as an artist when you're performing a song that impactful and you hear the quiet?
4: Uh, it feels very well because I, I'm i going to be honest with you. I'm I'm the kind of artist who gets so entranced in what I'm doing. I don't mean that I don't mean that like it's about me, 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 but truly when I'm on stage. Truly when I'm on stage, exactly. I'm I'm such an A personality, I can't help it. You're giving those people an escape. That's how I perform though. Like I have to I go into some kind of weird alternate world and I don't even know what I'm doing um, between the dancing and the singing and whatever. But drunk girl gives me a, a second to just calm down and just really sing. I mean I mean I'm a I like to think I'm a pretty good singer. So I don't, I don't do that a lot during my shows. A lot of it's just really high energy, raucous, crazy, rowdy hit music. Um, but Drunk Girl gives me a different perspective. I get to sing. I really feel the emotion with people. And you don't have to, here's the great thing about Drunk roll. You don't have to sell it to people. All you have to do is play it for people. And so there's a big difference in songs like that and songs that you have to sell to people.
5: Great music is timeless. Yep. Um, that song is going to be around for a long time. Thank you. A lot of songs that we hear today in all genres won't be around, but that one will. I suppose what Describe his stage show, Chris Chanson's stage show. Well, I, I will, and then I'm going to come back to Drunk Girl. Well, you want to start with the Drunk Girl and then go?
6: Well, no, no. I I, I, um, um, I should be able to remember uh, the thought I had in my head, but, you know, <laughs> um, I didn't... When we signed Chris, and I know we'll go back to Buy Me a Boat and in the, in the yes, whole we are. Uh, uh, launch of his career um i um was m- blown away by what he does on stage because you know he's been described as uh uh the Mick Jagger of country uh mm. you know just it's he's he, his energy is um without bounds when he's when he's up there on the stage and it's really fun to watch it's wh- it's what's gotten people um i think um, like Keith Urban and Tim McGraw, to proclaim publicly that he will be Entertainer of the Year because he's he's that level. He's considering, you know, we we base so much of our measurements on number one records. He's selling more tickets than a lot of artists who have more than two number one records people with 10 number one records are not getting the reaction in concert and the literally hard ticket sales that, that that chris
5: is because his show is so compelling if i could interject for just a moment i was telling chris before we started recording that uh the first time i saw chris play was on the new faces show uh, i know he's up for new Artist of the year and I was telling him, you know, as an industry person, how jaded those shows can be because it's an all industry crowd. And a lot of it is slow and fatiguing and a lot of inside stuff, jokes. And he got on stage and just, we just, so we're snapped to attention. We, uh, I remember sitting next to my bosses, and we all said, This guy's a star. Yeah. He's got it. Yeah. Because a, a lot of people walk away from that show and don't do well. Then. It's really hard to do well in an industry show. We get anxious when we have nominations for that because we'd like to
6: think that all of our artists can deliver live, you know, but some just get daunted by the room, especially because it's. Twelve hundred radio programmers out there—they're—they're they're watching their future in front of them, and if they screw up, and of course that can—that can screw with some people mentally. We don't worry for one second about putting Chris on TV, <laughs> <or> <laughs> in you.
5: front of any, anybody.
6: We don't worry for one second. But coming back to the the drunk girl comment, I—I I in fact went out about two or three weeks ago uh, with Chris to see a show of his in Illinois, and. I always stand at the soundboard. And what I do when I go to concerts is I stare at the audience at least half of the time. I want to see if they're engaged, if they're singing lyrics. I want to know what's going on. Where do you position on. yourself? At the soundboard. At the, you stay yeah, at the soundboard. front of house, uh, um, as, we, as we call it, which is a great place right in the middle. So you've got enough people behind you, but you can tell if people are standing up and engaged mm-hmm. in, in front of you. And when he brings it down on, on Drunk Girl... You get to find out how great of a singer he is. And I know he's sitting here, and I'm not going to do anything to kiss his butt. I don't have to kiss his butt, right? We're 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 stuck together no matter what. This guy is a contender (laughs) as a singer. And while he's going to do these rowdy shows um and i encourage that and the energy and all of that i can't wait till we have a uh you know we g- a- another album or two with another three or four of these songs that get to, to um have his voice shine like um holding her you know these voice these Thank incredible you. vocal moments because there are a lot of people who can be rowdy all night long and they can't sing Right? Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of singers who are great voices and they're boring as Get Out, Mm -hmm. All Get Out. He's got both, and it's going to be so fun to watch the development over a career of the exposure of these songs that he's he's writing and he's a great writer but he's i just want his voice to get heard more and more in 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 the uh, mellifluous uh delivery of these mid-tempos and ballads i'm not thank asking you. him to do a hundred of those but i definitely think his show benefits
5: from that that uh, diversity thank you very much and and the fact that you're a musician in this Thank age you. of lip syncing and all gizmos and gadgets that you play you sing you play the harmonica yeah uh, um plays the heck out of the harmonica which you Thank know you. growing yeah. up with artists like dylan and springsteen we're harmonica fans and yeah and, me too. i don't know how many people in country music are using it
4: but Kix brooks was like the last one that really did it in a big way and he plays great by the way uh but you know he was Never really recognized as a harmonica player, for the best of my knowledge, and I think he's a great harmonica player. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think it was so overshadowed by probably Brooks and Dunn success, which was great. But I, it's just what I do. I mean, I started out as a bar singer, so you have to just figure out ways to make extra money. Get attention. The only way that I got attention extra and made extra money was picking up a Cracker Barrel harmonica yeah. and learning it. That's a true story. <laughs> yeah. And so my tips started quadrupling, and and you know, I thought, well, okay, I'm a harmonica player now. I couldn't tell you if you asked me write this very moment to teach you something on harmonica the best I can teach you is just put air into it and pull air out of it I have no idea anything how
5: long ago did you start playing
4: when I moved to Nashville from Um, for anybody who doesn't know you grew up in Missouri, yeah, right? I was born and raised in Southern Missouri, and uh, with no musical influence or culture, really. So, uh, you know, it's it was just Pentecostal church revivals and things of that nature. I was a punk rock kid from an early age because I had to be. And mm-hmm. uh, if you wanna, if you wanted to break away from the mold, you just went for the furthest thing away. So, I became a Sex Pistols and Ramones fan, and then I. I but I was always, I was born in Breadwood country. I mean, I was born knowing what all my rowdy friends are coming over tonight sounded like. Um, I was not born with what Hank Williams Sr. sounded like, so I had to find that out on my own. I found that out through punk rock and heavy metal. Well,
5: because... next time I'm at one of your when concerts where you do God Save the Queen. Yeah, yeah. sure. I mean, like, I, so it's
4: so funny that you mention that. I, I do cover some of that stuff. I cover a lot of Social D. And, I love the Sex Pistols. And some Rancid right? and things like that. But what I was getting at is it all led to my harmonica playing and, and my musical influences really just stemmed from being a... I mean, to be frankly honest, everybody in, in rock and roll always says it. Nobody in country ever says it, but angry young kids. And I was really just kind of a happy kid, but I was also a, you know, I came from the lower middle class. And so when you come from that and nobody ever gives you a shot, you have to make it on your own. That's all I ever did, and that's the kind of music that I'm gravitated towards. And um, the harmonica was really just a means to, you know, eating. I, I love that. And you yeah. do a great
5: job with it. Thanks.
6: That. And you were the face of... uh What's the organization? CO- COPD. Yeah. Because, thank you. I was. Yeah, I was the face of that for
4: because of harmonicas. Harmonicas for health, and we um, we did that as a partnership um, in accordance with the ACMs, which was, you know it was a great organization. And what most people don't know, and I didn't know this, is. Um, I had to kind of learn to re-sing when I first started playing harmonica because it messes with your vocal cords so much. You're using, it's just like singing or talking. You're using mm-hmm. your vocals all the time. And for COPD patients, um, it's, it's really incredible. It's, it's really a miracle because they can, they can learn to play a harmonica or just play the basics,
5: and they can breathe better. That is so awesome. It's They're pretty you, incredible. And I love that you find ways to give back.
3: I ain't rich, but I damn sure wanna be. Working like a dog all day ain't working for me. I wish I had a rich uncle that'd kick the bucket. And I was sitting on a pile like Warren Buffett. I know everybody says money can't buy happiness. But it can buy me a boat. It can buy me a truck. To
5: if we could circle back for a second... And go back to the the great song that started. You're up for new artist of the year. Is that weird for you in a way? Because you've been at this uh, no. a long time, working I, at this a long time. I have, but I mean even outside of the industry, I've been doing it since
4: for even longer, but it's not weird to me at all because what I I know and I realize is, and I think it's a great privilege and honor is that you don't, nobody really knows you in the world. I mean, as an artist, you can really think you're cool, but nobody really knows you until you have a hit on the radio. So that's just it. That's the bottom line. And then they still don't really know you until you have another one. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, unless you have a buy me a boat, which was a catastrophic thing, that just doesn't happen that often, but you know, they, they finally thank God. And thanks to you, you know, they, they know me. So that's, that's, a blessing but i'm so proud to be a new artist because i would rather be the new shiny penny than the old washed up toy i don't want to be the guy that nobody wants to play with anymore i would rather be the guy that people are like oh he's a new artist great i'll take it all day long i wish they could nominate me three years in a row perfect (laughs) way i like i like perfect perfect way to sub that up well it's 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 amazing. I mean, it's you either get nominated or you don't. So, I mean, it would it wouldn't it be bad if you never did get nominated and you were still <laughs> a new artist? So that you know,
5: I'm thankful for it. Not everybody gets to do it. Like there's five of us, I think. There's As five. Um, yeah. You signed, Chris. Well, that song w- was released independently first, right? And then you you signed, Chris. Mm-hmm. Correct. Well, tell us how that all went down. Um,
6: I'll never forget it. And and to be clear, Chris Lacey. Signed, Chris. Who is the I, head of your A&R department? She, yeah, she's the uh, uh, senior VP of A&R. For those listeners who don't know what that means, artist and repertoire. Mm-hmm. They find the artists and they work with them to help them, uh, um, you know, record their best work. You know, and collaboratively. Anyhow, I'm. Um, you know, I, uh, I I joke about this. So here's the second time I'm in bed and my phone blows up. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in the music business because I'm a night owl. I'm not a morning person. And until I have about four or five cups of coffee, don't even talk to me because I can't hear anything, right? <laughs> I'm just sitting there, easing my way into the day. Well, there I was at about 7.30 and my texts start blowing up. Um, and it's... Um, Somebody on our team saying, do you see what's going on with this artist, Chris Jansen, on Bobby Bones? And I'm like, no, I haven't. You just woke me up, you know. So- I was going to ask about
5: Bobby's involvement with this.
6: <laughs> so so um, um, uh, Chris can tell you uh, uh, more detail of the story. All I know is Bobby plays the record. That's the first time you, know, you this, heard it. That's the first. I didn't hear the first time. I was alerted. That he had Bobby had played it. And uh, it was number one on iTunes, not country overall. And it was like, okay, um, this one is getting traction. And then I get another text. He played it again. Oh my God, you know. And then you start reading the reviews on iTunes. And now Chris Lacey is involved. She wasn't the one who was texting me, it was somebody in our marketing department. <coughs> and now, um, I guess, like every label in town, all right let's get Chris in here as fast as possible, yeah. right? And he's getting a phone call from every label. And this is not how the process works normally. There's a, um, a, you know, I I don't know if the word orderly is proper, but, you know, there's a getting to know you, getting to know all yeah. about you. No, get him in here. I want to know who wrote that song that's blowing up, right? And, you know, my recollection, and and Chris can, can help uh, refine this, is that, Chris Lacey knew him yep. from his days at Tootsie's a decade earlier. Wow, and had had conversations with him akin to "You're incredibly talented. You just need the music. You just need the songs." Yep. So we weren't getting to know him that day. God bless Chris because she just she's out there um, having this kind of getting to know people, you know. And quite often, you know, A and R people um, they have to say no. Um, just like radio people do to us when we're playing, ask them to play our singles, they have to say no a hundred times a week. But she knew he was talented and so everybody was going after, after Chris and we just, we did everything to make sure he understood what we thought we could do to deliver for him and thank God he chose us. I mean, seriously, you know, um, uh, you, you start off with a song like that, that's just rarefied air and people, I wish we could take a picture of my office, but there's the boat to buy me a boat that's right that, that got <laughs> delivered to me well, uh, on my shelf. My office is a, a plastic a, a, boat, a crazy. Yep. Um, um, now I was asking Emporium where an actual
5: of, working desk was in here, I don't see why. Yeah, it's yeah. actually it, it, a Bass Pro boat, too, which is so funny. Now we're
6: affiliated with Bass Pro, that, isn't that great? Yeah, it's awesome.
5: And there's, there's Chris there in that
6: photo, funny, yep. but anyhow, it was like what I came to realize very quickly, because Buy Me a Boat was a lightning rod, Mm -hmm. was he's a great writer. And so there was going to be more than one, right? Because I really don't want to flash in the pan, and I'm not in the business of signing an artist because we have a hit. You know, I'm not looking for one-hit wonders in in our life. We want somebody who we think can imagine being on uh, Madison Square Garden. You can see I go on and on, don't I? I love it. Please. um, uh, um, um, And that gets... um, helps get fueled by somebody who not only knows who they are, but happens to be able to write songs that help describe them. I and mean, if you listen to his his work, there's so much um, honesty.
5: Well, congratulations, Espo, on signing you know, him and, and doing such a great job of, of nurturing the artist. It sounds like you have a great artist and executive relationship here. No, oh, we
4: do. Well, that's the reason I signed here. So to answer the question uh, on, from my side of things, and by the way, thank you, because everything you said was exactly spot on. Um, I signed here because I liked him and I like Chris Lacey, and that's mm. it. I mean, that, that was the reason I signed here. I, I like to work with people who also I, – I hate meetings, and so I'm just not going to take a lot of meetings, and I'm I just, just not going to do it. And so – they were like, "Can you come in on this time at this time?" And I said, oh, "Yes, of course." Not we. My wife and I love Chris Lazy because I think she has the best ears in town. My wife was a R R as well for years uh, at a different record label. And your and, wife's and, name is Kim, right? Uh, Kelly. Oh, Kelly. That's yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and and so so we've all been friends in the same circles, and um, we just have a lot of respect for her, and of course have a lot of respect for well Obviously, he's in the position at that point. To, to that garners respect but i didn't know him yet but when we came in here i mean it was that was just it i didn't have to take any other meetings anywhere else you don't you don't have to do that when you know you know so we we shook hands on the notion that and and the and really just laid it laid it out a template just kind of in the air that i'm going to write my own songs i'm going to sing my own songs and and we will not live and die by the sword we will live and die by the song and so that's what we do and that's just that's just how we do it and it's been so easy. and the creative process is extro- extraordinarily awesome here because I know a lot of my friends, I mean like currently who are in situations the record labels are having success, they're not enjoying the success because hmm. they're being led one way or the other. I don't get led here. We lead each other because we're a team. like teamwork makes the dream work and um, my, my promotion guy in the Southwest Ray Vaughn always says that and I, I live by that. that's really a great mantra. And that's really the way that our relationship is personally, Espo and I, and then the relationship within Chris Lacey and my wife and I, and just the whole label in general. We don't, it's not about an I thing, it's not about a me thing, it's us thing. And that's how we win here. And that's, it's really an incredible thing. I had to learn how to work in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm an A personality, so it naturally it's tougher for me. Um, but once I got a grasp on it and I got it pretty quick, it, it just works a lot better. And so the song process, you know, everybody, I think, feels invested and really really has ownership and winnership if that if that makes sense um there's i don't think we ever do any kind of decisions in in between Espo and i or chris and i or, or anybody at the label frankly for that matter like i wouldn't do it if they weren't on board and they wouldn't do it if i wasn't on board i mean that's just really we have a great understanding
6: like that that's a, the, the artist always wins um but we like to have discussions yeah but we can't ask him to do something we want or he, He's not himself. Um, you know, That that's our, our mantra over here. You know, the artist has to know who they are. And all we can do is encourage them to bring the, the best of who they are out. And I might add, it didn't hurt that before our first meeting uh, was over, um, I busted out a guitar and he and I were singing Springsteen songs together. <laughs> it just natu- it was a natural
4: fit, you know. I mean, <laughs> what you know, was the first
5: Springsteen song you did together? Uh,
4: I believe what well, you played, you started playing it and, I, it, and I picked up a bass and just kind of started picking along. This guy can play anything that Springsteen ever
5: I did, wrote, I did, sang. I guess I didn't know that.
4: Thought yeah. about singing. Um, oh, dude, this this is the the biggest Springsteen fan of your of your life. But um, you know, I. Man, I don't know. The relationship is just good here, and I wouldn't. I honestly, even if you were sitting here, I wouldn't say it if I didn't mean it. Like it. it well, just, I could feel it. it just the just, chemistry it's, between. Yeah, it's just you it's two. good. It's easy. That's the great thing he mentioned about. You know, we're such an open book over here. Uh, that's the great part. I am such. A, I'm the type of human that if you tell me how I have to be, you can forget it. It's over. Like we're not. It's not going to work. And with this this house with Warner with with him leading it, it's amazing because. It's just, you just do you, and hopefully it works. See, the, the weight's on my back, which is, a it's, that's okay. That's a great burden to carry. You've got a great I, relationship. That, that's how you find out who you are. I you love know. that. How, how um,
5: yeah. I know we're running out of time here. There's a couple other, there's a lot of other things I want to get to, but there are a couple I definitely want to get to before we wrap. How do you guys decide where we go next as, to the next level, I mean? What, are you always strategizing about that? Taking well, the artist to the next level.
6: Um, yeah, well, uh, you know, I would I w- I would say this, um, that we have a metaphor here, and this is not just because I was a New Yorker for 30 years. I think everybody in the world has heard of Madison Square Garden, and the metaphor is what's the road to Madison Square Garden? What are the building blocks that we need to do? It's a combination of things, from... You know, playing smaller places to slightly larger places to, mm. you know, and getting the proof of people being willing willing to plop down real money. Because, you know, there are a lot of artists who can just play festivals and make a decent living. But the real uh, the proof is, are they willing to pay f- to come see you, you know, and will the artists who are in a better position currently um, do they see in you somebody that they really think you would add value to the their concert experience by putting you as the main support? Right. Yep. Obviously, it's the music. You know, we, we constantly. He's he. You know, we've got great songs on the current record, the second record from him. And he just sent us in five songs that we're all going, holy crap. Well, (laughs) (laughs) well, maybe we've got to go after one of these next, you know, and we'll end up having those kinds of conversations.
4: So you're already thinking
5: about the next album then.
4: Yeah. And and, and thank you, by the way. I appreciate that. And and it's good to hear. It's, It's validating to hear not only you, but, in, you know, everybody else has been really excited about it. He's, he's right. And, uh, it seems like everything's just coming together for it you. Really? I honestly, I'm going to be frankly honest with you. And I hope you print this. I am a Christian, a man of the Lord, and I am so grateful for all the blessings that we've gotten. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, really we, in my house, we live and die by prayer and faith and everything else is icing on the cake. And, oh man, Things have just lined up. I don't know what kind of peace is on our family right now, but we really got it. And so I'm thankful for that. Well, it congratulations. Thank you. It translates into the music. And that that's not to say I don't care what anybody else believes, because I don't. Everybody for themselves. It's just That's just how we do it. And God, I'm thankful. But I have been such a good headspace because of that and with everything going on. And there's been a lot of highlights in the last couple months. But I will tell you that it has really affected my writing in a positive way. Chris Lacey came to me. She said, okay, we need to kind of start – this is how we do it – kind of start thinking about the next record. He's not – like, Mespa and I are not even talking at this point on that kind of level, right? Mm-hmm. And Chris will say that because that's what she does. Right. And I, you know what I do? I go, okay, and a switch flips inside of me if I'm ready. And usually I'm ready because I like to move fast. We live in a fast-paced world, and you will get sidetracked so quick. But I go into the writing room at home every day when I'm off tour. I fly home every night. And my wife books my calendar up two and three weeks out, and I write every single day. And then I write about 30 songs, and I bring them in, and about five of them are okay. And about five of them are great, and the rest really suck. And uh, we just whittle down, and I bring them into the label. And this is how we pick songs over here, which is amazing. Mm. They let me write my own stuff, which not a lot of people get the privilege of doing. And it's an honor for me, and I really – that's just how I do things. And so I turn in a whole handful of songs, and I say, okay, go pick what you like. And that's that, it, and then they pick them, and then we got five that he loves, and I'm like off to the races. Here we go.
5: As a listener, you guys have explained that whole process and dynamic between the artist and executive. I I think it should it's a treat to listen to, and I really appreciate your time. I've got to mention "Fix a Drink" before we leave because that's one of your yeah. your hits. And when I heard it the first time, um, there I was just down about um, not down, but there were a lot of like. Uh, hey girl songs out at the time you there look were a lot of hey girl jeans. songs you're right, right. <laughs> and, and I was audibly in the song and I hear that and I hear that song and I'm like thank god we've got a this is a country song <laughs> thanks man uh, uh, it was just so refreshing thank you um, I, I actually
4: it. hated that song uh, when, when it first was on the record which is was just kind of funny how that happens because artists from the best of my knowledge generally like would gravitate towards something that's not the number one hit right okay I have Quickly learned to gravitate towards the number one hit instead. Um, I have a naturally artsy fartsy mindset, so I have to really, I have to go back. It's an equal balance. But with "Fix a Drink," I was like, "This will never work. Nobody will ever play that. It's too simple, right?" And then it was like, "Boom!" It was out. It was number one, and it was like, "Whoa, what just happened?" But I, um, I quickly became to love that song because this is how I judge them. I play them live, and if people are singing them and loving them, then they, they must be a hit, right? And "Fix a Drink" was. Just that thing, and so I said, "Well, I love it now." And so uh, it took about two weeks after we recorded, and I was like, "I'm totally in!" And uh, thank God it worked. And congratulations on the Grand Ole Opry. Oh man, thanks. What a what a a, big deal it is. It's uh, you know this 2018 is if it couldn't have got any better with the Noms and all these kind of things. The Opry, there were two things that were important to me in this lifetime of of playing music for a living. One was being on the radio and having hit songs, which I'm thankful to be doing. Uh, great team, and thanks to radio, but secondly to that, I wanted to Play the Opry, and I got to play that so many times. And then membership was something that I, I got to be frankly honest, I kept in the back of my head like it's probably not going to happen. That way, it's like setting myself up emotionally in case it ever doesn't. I'm not disappointed. But then it did, and it was a total surprise. And it really, it really blew my mind, tore me apart in a good way, and and it put a stamp in country music that nobody can ever take away. So, and at a, the
5: time, were you the youngest member?
4: I, in I still am. Yeah, still in the youngest member. Dustin Lynch was just inducted. I saw him last yeah, night and gave I him my, my first big hug. Um, since his induction and i think it's great because he's a great ambassador by the way for the opry he's he really loves country music but um but i will say that i'm still the youngest member i'm really proud of that but you know the opry holds a special key in my heart because it's my gateway honestly to the new school and the old school at the same time and i'm a lot of that when i wake up in the morning anyway so um it's it really it, when they say it's like a family and it's like coming home it really is like coming home for me i can i don't have to really worry about anything i just
5: let it go and sing my hits well congratulations that's so great congratulations Thanks. to both you you Thank guys you on much. a great year you've had a great year both of you yeah it's been a good john year. esposito chairman ceo of warner music nashville chris jansen up for three country music association awards thank I you i hope you bring home three trophies that thank night you. congratulations did, to you thank
4: you i feel like i already won i mean i really got to tell you i appreciate that and and but i feel like i already won i never got nominated for for a cma before so uh just getting nominated is winning to me and if we get to bring home a trophy that's sweet, because I uh, I will you know thoroughly appreciate
5: that as well. Good luck to you both down the road. Thank you very much. All, you, all success for to doing you. This. this is Jim Asker on the Billboard Chart Beat Podcast. Thank you, everyone. I turn
3: on Fox News and then CNN, but it's the same dang thing all over again. The world's in the toilet and the market's in the tank. Well, I can't fix that. Now that I can fix a drink. Pour it on ice. Mix it on up and get you feeling right. I can get you buzzed. I can get you smiling. I can make you feel like you're sitting on an island. I can make it fruity or I can make it strong. All you gotta do is tell me what you want. Put it to your lips. Take a little sip and tell me what you think. Yeah, I can fix the pain.
0: Chris Jansen on the Billboard Sharpie podcast, along with Warner Music Nashville CEO and chairman, John Esposito, and our own uh, Jim Asker. Great interview. Again, getting into the heads of artists and labels together. And uh, uh, next week, another country star. We're going to do it again. Absolute superstar next week. Keith Urban on the Billboard Sharpie podcast next week. You sound surprised, as if you didn't know that was coming. No, I knew it was coming, but But... I'm I'm always uh, so impressed when Jim gets... uh, executives and and artists together keith urban's one of the biggest country names you could get so uh, next week uh, keith urban coming up on the podcast will be number one is uh, maroon five going to be number one for a second week does Drake go back to number one does does juice world as we're talking about does uh, lucid dreams uh, make its way up it seems uh, at the moment as we're recording this here on tuesday uh, lots in play uh, for next week so we'll find out uh, again the chart beat podcast hotline Ooh, you better call the chart beat hotline 212 493 421. Uh, that's the number for any chart questions and comments. Have a good one about uh, Janet Jackson
2: waiting. I want to play that one uh, coming up. So, uh, Speaking of Janet Jackson, yeah. we're going to throw out a little chart beat trivia. Last Sunday, se- September 23rd, was the week back in 1989. Miss You Much entered the top 10. The first of Janet's 18 consecutive top 10, something that no artist still to this day has been able to do. Keith Irvin on the podcast next week. Sounds like Janet Jackson taking us out this week. Yeah, never a bad time for Janet Jackson, who actually is performing this weekend at the Global Citizens Fest. Cardi B, current Hot 100 chart topper, The weekend. Shawn Mendez. a few others will be there as well. Uh, I guess in honor of Janet's 18 consecutive top 10 streak, um, should we play the
0: first? I hear it Miss You Much. It reminds me of this time of the year, fall starting, summer ending. She okay. came back.
2: All right. Well, uh, yeah, hitting the top 10. This week, 29 years ago, back in 1989, on its way to number one, where it'll hold on for four weeks, this is the first single from Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation 1814, Miss You Much. And we'll miss you much until next week.